This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday after the first Monday in November, making it November 8th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca with your... Election Day fun facts, Election Day fun fact. More people voted early in the United States than have ever voted in an election in Britain, France, Germany, or Italy. More people voted early in the United States than voted for Ronald Reagan in 1980. Election, wait, why am I singing? I gotta produce for this. Go, Chris, go. Election Day, Election Day. Exercise your franchise the American way. No matter who wins, New York will pass Ohio as the state that has provided the most presidents to this republic. Election Day fun facts. Election Day fun facts. Chris, you take it. Election Day fun facts all day. Donald Trump will become, win or lose, will become the first presidential candidate to lose his state. That's happened before. Al Gore, Woodrow Wilson, James Polk. But his state his county, and even his census track. Election Day Fun Facts, Chris. Break it down, Election Day Fun Facts with Mike. San Francisco has 45 ballot proposals, including the infamous California one-cent tax on fizzy beverages. Now, I say they will pass this tax because just as the younger generation are cord cutters and knows how to live without cable, I think they could also live without soda. You know about the cord cutters? I call them the nevervescents, and it bodes ill for the soda industry. Election day. Fun facts. Today on the show, I'll be speaking with Jamel Bowie. It's a wide-ranging conversation, but we're going to touch on the role of the president to heal. We look at the president to heal this fractured country after such a divisive campaign, and I say it is impossible. It is impossible, not because it has been a divisive campaign, but because it has been a campaign. Yes, yes, it is more divisive and it has been lower. And I think we know who or what forces to blame for that. And yet, when you have a politician saying, I am enacting a law and something that was not against the law now will be, or some tax that was not taken now will be, or something that was allowed now won't be, that's going to be inherently divisive. I was thinking about who is that person out there who could heal? Does the person exist? I mean, Barack Obama seems pretty healing, yet in 2014, couldn't even go to a dozen states that were having a Senate election because he was so unpopular and radioactive. What about Michelle Obama? She's so poised. People take such pride in her as first lady. And yet for much of her tenure in that job, she was widely derided on the right for her vegetable garden, telling our kids how to eat. Well, what if we go beyond the realm of politics? Tom Hanks has the highest Q rating, meaning the most people know him and like him compared to any celebrity or well-known public figure. As soon as Tom Hanks stops being a guy in movies who's just there to make you laugh, as soon as he tells you something about war 
or things that are against the law or what taxes he's going to take, he will become divisive. You know, I was looking across the seat from me on the subway and there was a woman wearing an I voted sticker and get out there and vote. That is an uncontroversial thing to say. Every celebrity says it. Uh, It is seen as a civic duty and a civic right and in fact, a unifying action. And wearing that I voted sticker, who could object to that? Unless, unless you got just one degree more specific. And under that sticker, it said, I voted for Hillary or I voted for Trump. And then it becomes just as divisive as this entire campaign has been said to be. So I don't think the question is one of divisiveness or unity. I think it's one of good laws. And let's hope we get some after today. Jamel Bowie's here. Enjoy this conversation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Can we ever heal the ugliness? Can we bring this country together? Actually, can we bring the country together or is that an unreasonable and frankly ignorant question? If that's the principle, maybe we should be electing a pope. Nah, he's too controversial. Maybe a Dalai Lama. Nope, the Chinese are going to hate him. Maybe a puppy, a nationally agreed upon puppy. If it's healing and forgiveness that we want, and as far as trade packs, I don't know, maybe he'll uh, veto it via paw. Well, joining me now is a political realist. He is, in fact, Slate's senior political writer. He is Jamel Bowie. Hello, Jamel. Hello. So these are some of the ideas that have been uh, bandied about and uh, thought of even days before the election. They'll probably be asked days after the election. What do you think of this idea uh, of no matter what happens, won't we have a long way to go to heal? I think that idea is quite right, although I I believe that it's going to be more the case if Trump is elected than if Clinton is elected. And I say that because while Clinton is very disliked uh, and there is a lot of antipathy towards Hillary Clinton – Donald Trump has run a campaign centered on the idea that there are Americans who are essentially less American than others, Um, Hispanic immigrants, Muslim Americans, even to an extent African Americans have all been portrayed as some kind of threat to the American mainstream. And so I think the election of Donald Trump would actually strain the bonds of civic life in a way that I'm not sure is true of the election of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I think a, a lot of these articles, Can We Heal No Matter What Happens, imagines that Hillary's leading or Hillary should win. But still, can we heal? Um, Yesterday on Meet the Press, they talked about the word cloud associated with uh, Trump supporters for Hillary and Hillary supporters for Trump. And Trump was seen as racist, sexist, and xenophobic, whereas Hillary was seen as liar and crooked. And so Chuck Todd said, so no matter who we get, we get some version of basket of deplorables. But I would say something like, well, aren't the descriptions a little more apt for him? Right. I mean, and even, even if you buy the premise that both descriptions are apt... A liar and a crooked politician is just a a particularly bad version of the normal. Mm -hmm. A xenophobe, a racist, that is actually outside the normal of American politics. And so to say that these these are the same kind of of things is actually quite wrong. Um, We've we've lived through presidents who are uh, dishonest and uh, corrupt. And it wasn't great, but we got through it. 
it's been a very long time since we've lived through lived through a presidency, or at least modern multicultural America has not experienced a president whose core idea from the beginning of his campaign to the conclusion has been essentially that the that the primary and, and center group in American life are white Americans and that all others um, have to essentially be in their place. And I'm sure some listeners are going to you're going to hear that and, and think that I'm exaggerating, but I, I'm not entirely sure how else you read his rhetoric about Hispanics, about Muslims, about African-Americans, except if not a kind of soft white nationalism. Um, what about the idea uh, to take the temperature of an election the day before, the Sunday before, the day of, and to say, can we ever come back? Doesn't this mistake the fact that there have been two people battling each other? I look at uh, f- for months and months, years and years even. So, of course, that's going to bring the mood down. Right. I look at w- people's perception of the economy when there was an election in 2014. And it was really bad. And as soon as the election happened, the economy did get better. But it's just that you stopped having one party constantly telling us how bad the economy was. Right. So absent one party, this entire infrastructure making the case that things are so terrible, I just think the fever is going to break a little bit. I think it may break a little bit. I, I do tend to agree with those who suggest that the Trump phenomena has revealed some pretty critical weaknesses in kind of our democratic infrastructure. Yes. Um, Not not revealed things that we didn't think about American society. I right, think. right, I mean, right. You and I, especially. Right. Yeah. But I mean, just the extent to which those things were true, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to take some time to heal. And we have to consider also that there are some percentage of Trump supporters, anywhere from 25 to as high as 60 percent, who say that they will not accept the results of the election if he if he loses. And that's in part because he's been arguing consistently that the election is rigged and that uh, Clinton is, in some sense, illegitimate. And that's just not a good combination of things to have in political life. I don't know how that's going to play out. But the second, let's say he loses by, uh, you know, a discernible margin, not a uh, hanging chad, okay? Even those people who tell po- told pollsters, I'm not going to accept it, do you think that a significant portion will say, all right, that was it. We fought until the final down, but now it's over. And then we'll be losers if we continue this fight, like in the uh, jungles of the Philippines, the downed uh, <laughs> Japanese fighter pilot. I think it depends on what Trump does. If um, early Wednesday morning he gives a concession speech and he is gracious, then I think we will have dodged a bullet. But if he's defiant, if he's, you know, if he is the Trump that he's been, then I do not think there'll be this reconciliation. Part of how we got Trump, not 100 percent, but certainly like a third, is that the stance of complete and total opposition and then the hyperbole about Obama created a kind of language of resistance among Republican voters that Trump was able to tap into and utilize and exploit. Well, speaking of that, the opposition to Obama, right when he was elected, was his highest approval rating ever. And people were very proud of the country, even people who didn't vote for him. But where was was there healing? I mean, as soon as he floated a policy that the Republicans objected to, they objected to it. I didn't see that it that the healing or the coming together had any tangible effect. Right. I don't think it did. And I would, I think it's a bit, I think we, we run the risk of overstating the extent to which Obama's election was this national unity moment. I think Trump reveals how much that for millions of Americans, Obama's election was itself a kind of humiliation. I mean, if if we take seriously the idea that the election of an African-American president was a hugely historic moment, hugely historic moments have backlashes. And we have to take seriously also the idea that 
the same warm fuzzies that many Americans got from electing Obama also produced profound anxiety among other Americans. Um, sometimes the same Americans, the right, same ones who pat themselves right. on the back or say, oh, what a huge disappointment. What were your expectations? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, if Hillary Clinton, we don't know, but let's assume that Hillary Clinton wins for a second. Would she be better served if there was a Republican Congress with a narrow Republican majority or actually a larger Republican majority? Just because the larger Republican majority would include more moderate Republicans, more Republicans who maybe were representing swing districts. That might seem counterintuitive, but. Right. I, I don't. So I don't think so, because as we've seen under the Obama presidency, the the presence of moderate Republicans doesn't really matter much if those moderate Republicans are worried about a challenge from the right. Yes, um, and so I think it'd be better if Clinton had like a you know a Senate majority, uh, and then also a narrow Republican majority, such that the the House Republican uh, majority doesn't have the kind of mandate they'd be able to claim if they had something larger. If 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 eight seats separates Democrats and Republicans, then a I mean one thing is that Paul Ryan's hold on the speakership is a bit more tenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is just But is that, that good for progress or progressives or bad? Like it I, might be a, a fun, it might be a satisfying comeuppance where he to be voted out, but he wouldn't be replaced with someone who's more likely to deal with Democrats, would he? Right. I mean, it's 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 tough because it, it it's hard to see, it's hard to figure out what his strategic position would be because one solution to this is just to Say because the speakership is elected by the House and mm-hmm. elected by the the respective party. Um, so if Paul Ryan said to himself, "I will make some concessions in in return for Democrats providing votes for my speakership," then that's 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 one thing. I don't know if that would happen. It happened with Boehner, and Boehner seems like he would have been more likely to, to to run that play. But I don't. I mean, honestly. The internal dynamics of the Republican caucus are such that, like, I don't really know what is optimal for Hillary Clinton. I mean, the Republican Party seems still bent on this idea that if it does not have power, then its opponents are not legitimate. Uh, and given that, you know, maybe more House Republicans is better, maybe fewer. Who really knows? We might not know who will control the Senate. Um, you know, a race in, say, North Carolina might go or Nevada might recount for days. Um, If it is not Democratic control, even if it is 51 Republican senators, do you think that they will deny a ninth Supreme Court justice, deny whoever Hillary Clinton applies, whether it's Garland or someone else? Yes. They will. Um, It's in their interest to do so. I think you're already seeing that emerging, the idea emerge among conservative intellectuals. Uh, I, you know, my not to alarm people too much, but my view is that if Hillary Clinton is elected president and there's a Republican Senate, and there's a non-trivial chance that we have some kind of constitutional crisis within the next like eighteen to twenty-four months. Whether that is a continued Supreme Court blockade, whereby Republicans refuse to confirm any not Supreme Court nominee, whether that is a blockade on all nominees to fe- to executive to the executive branch, there's nothing in the Constitution that requires the Senate to actually confirm anyone the president puts forth. And so, if there are vacancies throughout the executive branch and Republicans just refuse to fill them, that's their prerogative. It would cripple the government. It would sort of force 
a President Clinton to make decisions that may very well violate the Constitution, but it's a real possibility. Okay. And there's one last thing I want to ask, which is blaming this entire cycle and how terrible it is. And there is a a pox, a plague on both your houses sentiment. Uh, I, I think most reasonable people think that one candidate has been dirtier and nastier than the other. You won't get everyone to agree with it. But here's this. I think that most political experts have always said that if one candidate went negative, it would hurt the opponent, but also bring that candidate down. And I don't know that the proposition has been tested. What if one candidate goes extremely negative, goes scorched earth negative? Because the incentives were always such that that's mutually assured destruction. I think something like that has happened. And we've seen that proposition tested. Right. I think that's right. Um, It is not normal or typical for a presidential nominee to lead a crowd of people and chanting, lock her up. Yeah. Um, That is outside the norms of American politics. And I think you're right that it's the behavior of the Trump campaign that has made people feel very gross about this election. No one wants to to seem partisan. Um, There's an unwillingness to kind of just say, you know, listen, Hillary Clinton has been running a normal campaign whenever you think about her. uh, And Donald Trump has not. Give me one thing to be optimistic about, no matter what happens tonight. (laughs) One thing to be optimistic about is that if Hillary Clinton wins, it will almost certainly be because Latino voters in particular, but also African-American voters and also Asian-American voters came out to the polls to cast a ballot in favor of a pluralistic, multiracial America. Absolutely. I'm a white man. We suck. Uh, (laughs) This election, I'm sorry, but women... Black people, brown people, everyone you've talked about delivered the nation from this, you know, should it come to pass, will have delivered this nation from a Trump presidency. Right. And I think that's, that is positive. That is, uh, that is democracy in action. And it's democracy that looks a little different than I think what people are accustomed to. And that, that is perhaps what's driving some of the anger behind Trump, a sense that um, a version of white America is no longer in complete control. But for the rest of us who value this pluralistic and multiracial America, we should all be very happy about it. Jamel Bowie joined The Gist. Now, I want you to know The Gist was named by uh, the Pointer Institute as something like the third best audio source. But number one breakout star of this campaign, Jamel Bowie, he is Slate's chief political correspondent. Thank you, Jamel. Thank you for breaking out. Thank you for having me. That is it for today's show. Mary Wilson, just producer, is especially strong among college-educated women in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Just producer Chris Berube was thrown out by a Nevada judge, but his case, Berube versus Dealer hitting on a soft 17, is on appeal. Executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai is trying to flip three states that John McCain carried, which seems possible. I mean, McCain is in his 70s and can't lift his arms above the shoulder, and yet Steve has been unable to do so. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, left radio to invent from scratch a system by which audio can be imparted to listeners in real time, updated frequently, and reacting to breaking news. And maybe, just maybe one day, we'll include weather and traffic on the 8s. The gist here promising that VoteCaster will improve next year, not because glitches will be worked out, not because methods will be improved, but because one extra vowel will be dropped. VoteCaster! Um, Umpru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.